Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Elhamdülillahi rabbil alamin. Vessalatu vesselamu ala seyyidil mursalin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve baraka ve selleme teslimen kathiran ila yevmiddin amma ba'd. Dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, dear listeners, viewers, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us all and allow us to prepare ourselves for the hereafter and be protected from this hellfire that we're learning about. So today is the seventh session of this and today we speak about a few different things. We speak about uh, the depth of the hellfire. So we're moving on to the depth of the hellfire and it's kind of really interesting the way uh, it's been described. Uh, the way the hadith describe it, the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is described in the Quran, it's very interesting to give us an idea of how, how big, how huge uh, hellfire is. So for example, there's a hadith which is related from Khalid ibn Umair. He says actually that Utba ibn Ghazwan, he gave a sermon to us and he said, it's been mentioned to us, it's been related to us, that a stone was thrown into the depths of Jahannam, into the depths of hellfire, and it's been taking 70 years travel speed to go down, right? in free fall and in that case he said it still has not reached the bottom to its depth he probably thought that people are going to assume by this that it's going to be so massive how is this ever going to be filled this hellfire how is it ever going to be filled so then he said right by Allah it is going to be certainly filled up are you surprised by that Imam Muslim has transmitted this and so has Imam Ahmed has transmitted this as well. Meaning he's transmitted this from Utba ibn Ghazwan anhu and not directly from the Prophet That gives us an understanding. So a lot of the descriptions about how deep hellfire is, is actually about a stone being thrown down. Now it also depends on the stone when you're talking about acceleration, velocity and all of these things, you know, from a physical aspect of it, physics aspect of it, right? There are some hadith which show how large this stone is, right, as well. So let me just mention the next hadith and then I'm going to try to give you some calculation that you can do to just get an understanding. I mean, it's mind-boggling the sum, the figure of how deep this is. Imam Tirmidhi has another hadith in which Hassan al-Basri, rahimahullah, he's in Basra, he's from Basra, right, he's a tabi'i. He says, Utba ibn Ghazwan was on the same member, right, the member of the Masjid of Basra. Right, and he relates, uh, he related on this pulpit from the Prophet ﷺ that a huge boulder, a stone, was thrown into the depths of Jahannam and it is falling, free falling 70 years and it hasn't reached its depth yet. And that's why <clears throat> Umar used to say, Akthiru dhikran nar, abundantly remember the hellfire, fa inna harraha shadeed. Because the heat of the hellfire is intense. And its depth is very, 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 very far away. It's very deep. And the, the rods that they will use to beat people with will be made of iron. Just to give you an idea, right, about how objects fall and how you can understand this is just so deep that I don't know you know, maybe some of you know how to calculate this. You can calculate it and let us know. But what they say essentially is that free-falling objects, you know, you, they're not propelled by anything. They've not been shot down by something. It's just free-falling. Let's just assume that it's free-falling. They're in a state of acceleration. They're accelerating at, subhanAllah, 9.8 meters per second every second. So it increases by 9.8 <clears throat> meters, which is nearly 10 meters, every second, right? Per second, every second. Uh, give you an idea that uh, in every second that it falls, every second, it is going to increase by 9.8 additional meters. So if in the first one it falls 9.8 meters, in the second one it's going to fall double that. So they've got a calculation here that the object will be traveling at 9.8 meters Per second, 9.8 meters is the size of a like a small house, right? The size of a small house. That's 9.8 meters. I mean, this room generally 
2 meters, 2 point something meters. That's the height of a room, 2.5, maybe 3 meters, right? So we're talking about, <clears throat> that's three floors, right? Yeah, three floors at least, 9.8 meters per second, which is about 10 meters, you can say. At the end of the first second, it then becomes 9.6 meters, again, which is about 20 meters. At the end of the, at the, end of the, the second second, it's going to now be at 29.4 meters, approximately 30 meters already within three seconds, right? More than that. Thus, the velocity of a free-falling object that has been dropped from a position of rest, right, without being propelled in any other way, is dependent upon a time that it has fallen. Now, times that per second, times that by 70 years. How many seconds in 70 years and times it by that and you'll get an idea i mean i don't i don't even need to do that that maths for that thereafter that imam muslim has another hadith from abu huraira radiallahu anhu he says that once we were with the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so we were in his company and suddenly we heard a thud right so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said do you know what that was he knew so he said only allah and his messenger know best he said that is, a, a, that is a stone that was let loose in Jahannam from 70 years ago, from 70 autumns ago, and it has finally reached its depth. So it's around 70 years. Now, I'm not sure if 70 is mentioned here as just a large, huge number, or it's literal. We can take it literally, and, and that's what we'll do. Then there are numerous other hadith about this, there's several hadith, I'm not going to go through all of them. There's another one in which when it gets to that depth, what is in that depth? So somebody asked, right, هَلْ تَحْتَ ذَلِكَ مِنْ شَيْءٍ Because Abu Umama, right, there's a hadith about this from Abu Umama, radiallahu anhu, right. So somebody then asked him once he mentioned the 70,000, and he said, Ya Aba Umama, is there something beneath that? He says, yes. There is the ghay and the atham. Now, literally speaking, ghayun uh, means to deviate, uh, deviation. And atham is the plural of sins, ithmun atham. So, based on this, there's another hadith which is slightly weak, right? That, uh, again, from Abu Umama radiallahu anhu, which describes this in a bit more detail. It says that from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, somebody asked, what is this ghay and atham? So the, this, this, uh, when it gets right down to the bottom of this depth, you've got this ghay and atham. What are these things? So the response was, Bi'rani yasilu sadidu nar. They are the two wells, the two reservoirs right at the bottom in which the pus and blood and all of that stuff of the people of hellfire will flow into. They're essentially, you can say, the drainage system, the, the, the storage system at the bottom. And then he said that these are the two things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned in the Quran. Both of these have been mentioned in the Quran. The first one is Surah Maryam, verse 59. They will confront the ghay. They will come across the ghay. In Surah Al-Furqan, verse 68. They will confront and come across the atham. The, the, the athama. So um, that gives an understanding of uh, this hadith from Abu Umama radiallahu anhu of what's down there. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. There's yet another one from uh, that Masruq uh, transmits from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Allah, Allah, Allah ma min hakimin yahkum bayna nas any judge who's made uh, to adjudicate between people illa yuhbas yawm al-qiyamah so anybody that's been made a judge in this world, so anybody who wants to be made a judge or in charge of something, whether that's been a, a, you know, in charge of the masjid committee, whether that be in charge of the household, whether that be in charge of something else, the local council, the local county, whatever it is, it doesn't make a difference. They will be stopped and they, they will be stopped on the day of judgment, there'll be an angel grabbing hold of their necks and they will be placed in front of the hellfire. And then after that, his head will be raised up towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about him, Alkihi, throw him in, 
knowing about his book of deeds and knowing what he's done and what he hasn't done. Al-Qahu fi mahwa arba'ina kharifan. They will throw him into the depth, a depth which is 40 years down. So to even get to hell, it's going to take so long and we're going through, a'udhu billah, going through all of this heat and everything whizzing past it. Imam Ahmad has transmitted this hadith. There's another one, another hadith in which Abdullah ibn Ubaid ibn Umair uh, transmits from his father who said that the Prophet wasallam said that a wali, again, a wali means somebody, a guardian of something, somebody who's in charge of something. So anybody who's been placed in a position of trust will be brought on the day of judgment and he will be thrown onto the the bridge of Jahannam, right? So Jahannam has a bridge over it to get to paradise. Because remember, hellfire is deep down, paradise is up. So to get there, you have to actually cross over Jahannam. And that's very famously known because that would be the causeway. So anyway, he's going to be thrown onto, cast onto the bridge of Jahannam. That bridge, I mean, it's a smart bridge. It's a smart causeway. Depending on who comes there, it will broaden itself out for it. It will either make itself thin, it will move about, it will shake. So in this case, this bridge will start shaking. It will start trembling, right? In such a way that it will basically cause his whole body to dissipate, to, to, to basically break apart every joint of his that will move from its place. Like it's going to be a violent shake, right? A really violent shake, worse than, you know, probably any earthquake that's been experienced in this world. Now, the thing is that if this person was obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his actions, then he'll be able to pass through. He won't have a problem. But if he's disobedient, then what will eventually happen after that tremble is that this bridge will actually tear apart. It'll, it'll essentially crack apart. And he will then fall into hellfire 50,000 years de depth. Right? That's what's going to happen. So, Umar radiyallahu anhu said to him, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, man yatlubul amal ba'da hadha, who's, you know, if you're saying that, who's going to want an official position after this? This is dangerous. This is so dangerous that who's going to want a position after this? So all of those people out there, listen, right? You know, those of us who love to get positions, like that's what life is all about. If I don't get a position, then you feel so bad, you feel deserted, you feel abandoned, you feel like you're not doing anything, you're not worth your while. Subhanallah, you know, get a position with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first. Of course, we need people to hold positions in the world for the right reason. Okay, and if it's for the right reason, you will be assisted. People will be assisted by it and then there's no problem. So he said, who's going to ask for a position after this? So Abu Dhar radiallahu anhu said that the one who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cuts off his nose and who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has dragged his face down in, uh, in the mud. Meaning only somebody despicable would want something maybe to do that. La ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah. Allah allow us to be useful people. Allah allow us to be useful people and beneficial people. Another hadith in Bukhari and Muslim from Abu Hurairah anhu. He says that the Prophet wasallam said, and Subhana, you've heard this hadith. And there's so many people who get into trouble because of this. And there are so many families that are being destroyed because of this. right? And I've actually spoken about this before. I can't remember what the talk is. It's basically about the person who comes and insults his close ones, says bad things to them, calls them bad names. And sometimes he thinks that he's not really doing anything bad or he's not really saying anything too bad to them. And you know he thinks it's okay. Right? So... This hadith in Bukhari Muslim says, Inna la Sometimes, not sometimes, he says, a servant, a slave, a person, sometimes utters a word. فيها, he's not careful about what he's uttered. He just said something. And this really should be a warning for all of those of us who say things off the cuff, who, who think, don't think before they, they speak, or who do think before they speak, but they're just so used to saying bad words or exaggerating or being vulgar or being insulting or being dramatic right i think those kind of people have to be really really worried right 
So any person who utters a word which is not fully reflected upon, he will then slip in by it into the hellfire further than the distance between the east and the west. Meaning, it's a huge amount of punishment that they're going to get. Then in the hadith of Ibn Jarir al-Tabari, there's a, a transmission there from Ibn Abbas anhu about the verse in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 80, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقَالُوا لَن تَمَسَّنَ النَّارُ إِلَّا أَيَّامًا مَعْدُودًا And they said that the hellfire is not going to touch us, is not going to affect us, except for a certain uh, limited number of days. This is actually relating to uh, a statement of the Yahud, of the Jews, where, they, uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that they say that, oh, in the hellfire, even if we go there, we're only going to stay there for a certain amount of days, right? Now, this is really interesting. So I actually looked, uh, I actually looked up, uh, I actually looked this up. So what, what it is, how this came about, is that why do they believe that they're only going to stay there temporarily? So apparently, according to this, um, the Jews had a belief, or they still have the belief, right, that they're only going to be temporarily into the hellfire and then it's finished. So they got this because what's written in the Torah, right, is that what's written actually there is exactly what we just mentioned right now, that between the two edges of, between the two edges of uh, hellfire, it's a 40-year distance to get from one edge to the other. And when, you, when, when they start off, and they get to the other end, that's where eventually they get to the Shajaratul Zakum, the Zakum tree, right? Which, uh, which, is, you know, which we'll discuss later in more detail, but it has its roots at the, uh, at the base of Jahannam, okay? So it's just the distance. That's why Ibn Abbas radiallahu used to further say that Jahannam has a tree in there which is called Zakum, and um, the Yahud, they have thought, they, they believe that after they cross, not cross, after they basically spend 40 uh, years in there, it's just 40 years, right? Then that would be the end of those days. But actually, that is just the traveling distance. So there's been a mistake in that, right? So after that, Jahannam will be, will be destroyed and there'll be no, nothing to do with Jahannam. So that's essentially what they thought of by this verse la ilaha illallah so ibn abbas radiyallahu anhu says that when they enter into hellfire right from its door they will then go through and be taken through its punishment until they get to this zakum tree right one of those days and that will take 40 years just to get to the zakum tree when they've consume something of the zakum tree and they fill their stomach up right the the guardians of hellfire will say to them that now you used to actually think that the hellfire is only going to affect you for a few days you know for just a limited number of days that number of days has passed right so those number of days are up right but you are actually in here forever right so that's what it mentions from ibn abbas radiallahu anhu so that's essentially the conclusion of this, that uh, it, it's incorrect what they, what they have understood. So this is, what I've, uh, this is what I've found. There's lots of opinions out there from various uh, different Jewish sources. And I remember you know, with the rabbis that I've met and discussed with them, there's quite a few different opinions that uh, various different Jewish uh, groups or scholars have. So I'll just, uh, I'll just read to you what I found. Uh, about a Jewish hell, which they call, um, I think they call it Gehennom or Jihennom. I'm not sure how they spell it exactly, or how they pronounce it, how it's pronounced exactly. But basically it says that only truly righteous souls ascend directly to the gardens of Eden, say the sages. The average person descends to a place of punishment, right? Now they've got that punishment and or purification, generally referred to as Gehennom, right? And the name of this is taken from a valley, right, just south of Jerusalem. And there is a Jahannam Valley down there, all right, which uh, I've seen, right. Once used for child sacrifice, sacrifice by the pagan nations of Canaan. 
So some view this Jahannam place as a place of torture and punishment, fire and brimstone. Right? This is one view regarding, uh, regarding this, uh, this hellfire right? of the hereafter or Jahannam or Gehennam. Others imagine it less harshly. So you see, you've got varying opinions here. Right? Whereas in the Muslims, it's quite clear what Jahannam is. Like it's an intense place. But here, they've actually got a lighter version that others imagine it less harshly as a place where one reviews the action of his life and repents for past misdeeds. So almost like a reflection room. Very interesting. The soul's sentence, the soul's sentence in, Jah in Gehennam is usually limited to a 12-month period. So according to this, right, and again, this is various different sources, so I'm not saying this is the overall view, or this is the majority view, right? I, I don't want to quote from that because I don't like it when uh, people will quote from just any uh, random source about Islam as well, right? So I want to just say that this is a bit of research I did. So the sole sentence in Gehennam is usually limited to a 12-month period of uh, purgation before it takes, or purgation before it takes place in Alam Haba. Not sure what that is. This 12-month limit is reflected in the year-long mourning cycle and the recitation of the Kaddish, which is generally their memorial prayer for the dead. Then it says, only the utterly wicked do not ascend the Gardens of Eden at the end of this year. So there are people that carry on, right? The, um, most people will leave for after 12 months. The others, the really utterly wicked, they probably won't leave. Then it says, sources differ on what happens to these souls at the end of their initial time of... Um, this punishment or this purification, some say that the wicked are utterly destroyed and cease to exist, while others believe in an eternal damnation. So that opinion does exist of eternal damnation within the Jewish sources as well. So it looks like there's different groups have different opinions, and a lot of this has been taken from Maimonides and the Mishnah Torah and the law of repentance, right? And Maimonides, Musa bin Maimun, right, was actually a really interesting uh, Jewish scholar, right, who uh, had a lot of interaction with the Muslims and studied, uh, um, uh, you know, among the Muslims as well. And he was a great philosopher and all the rest of it. So um, that is the opinions of the Jews. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. But uh, let's carry on with our discussion. Now we move on to get an idea of how vast Jahannam is. And I don't think there's anything clear. I mean, you know, you've got the 40 years distance and all of these things, you know, between the two sides, how wide it is, the depth, you understand that it's about 70,000 years. And then at the bottom, you've still got these, uh, th these reservoirs uh, for all the pus and blood and everything that's going to drip down. I mean, that just sounds ugly, really horrendous already. Um, it says that regarding the, the other extent, uh, the, 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 the breadth and the width of Jahannam, Ibn Abbas anhu once asked, Atadruna, do you know what the, the vastness and the expansiveness of Jahannam is? He says, no, I don't. I don't. Right? Except that he mentioned one thing, maybe just to give an idea of how big it can be. Right? He says that one of you who are in hellfire, the, the, the distance between the earlobe to the nose will be 70 years. 70 years long. And in it, will, there will be valleys therein of blood and pus. So we said, maybe rivers. He said, no, valleys, concaves of it. So then again, we asked him, do you know what the, the expansiveness of hellfire is? He says, no. And then he mentioned the hadith, but he, it's just uh, in the... There's a verse quoted of Surah Al-Zumar, verse 67. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Now you might be wondering why is somebody so big in there? Because to extend the surface area for punishment. Allah save us. Now let's move on to the next section, which is about the walls of hellfire, the, the way a person will be enclosed. So you can say the enclosures of hellfire. The canopies, the coverings, the awnings, and the enclosure. What's that going to be made of? How is that going to be described? So, I mean, the verse we have here is from Surah Al-Hijr, verse 43 and 44. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِنَّ جَهَنَّمَ لَمَوْعِدُهُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ لَهَا سَبَعَةُ أَبْوَابِ لِكُلِّ بَابٍ مِّنْهُمْ جُزْءٌ مَقْسُومٌ 
So it's Jahannam, who, you know, which has been uh, the place that's promised to all of them. And for them, in there are going to be seven doors. And that seven doors, they relate to seven different stages. Every one of them has a specially reserved group for every one of those um, levels in it, which we've discussed before. Then Imam Ahmad and Imam Tirmidhi have related a hadith from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu said inna li jahannam sab'atu abwab jahannam has these seven doors babun minha liman salla sayfahu ala ummati one of those doors so one of those areas especially dedicated to the one who draws his sword upon my ummah so anybody who's going to draw his sword upon the muslims of this ummah and unfortunately we've got people who unfortunately have done this they think it's permissible and valid for feeble excuses to draw their swords out or basically shoot and kill muslims especially i mean that's one of the worst things that you can do special place in hellfire for that so Imam Ahmad ibn, uh, um, there's a bit of further detail about all of these doors and so on. So Imam Ahmad, he relates another hadith from Utbah ibn Abdis, uh, uh, from Utbah ibn Abdis Sulami, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, Jannah has eight doors. We've got that one extra door in Jannah, right? But Jahannam has seven doors. Some doors... Are, wor- are better than others and some doors are you know like worse than others so some doors are better than others they're not all the same so all these stages are not all the same then there's another hadith from Abu Razin al-Uqayli that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said لَعَمْرُ إِلَاهِكْ إِنَّ لِلنَّارِ سَبْعَةَ أَبْوَابِ مَا مِنْهُنَّ بَابَانِ إِلَّا وَيَسِيرُ رَاكِ بَيْنَهُمَ سَبْعِينَ عَامًا just to give you an idea of how much distance there is between each of these two stages 70 years between each of the two doors so it's massive it's huge so maybe it's possible that the stone that that just gets to the end of the first stage allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best how to reconcile this um, this is also related by imam ahmad and tabarani and hakim and others then ibn abi hatim has another hadith in which uh, he, uh, it's related from Hat- الرقاشي who says that سمعت عليا يقول هل تدرون كيف أبواب جهنم علي رضي الله عنه saying that do you know how the doors of Jahannam will be so we said oh they're probably just like our doors they're probably like our doors he said no no they are actually one over the other they're one over the other and uh, some are under the other I mean whatever it is I mean obviously the idea is that they're different stages so they're not seven doors all around there's seven doors, right, of different stages. Juwaybir ibn Dahak says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given names to each one of the doors of Jahannam and every one of them has obviously people designated for them. And we've read this before, one door for the Yahud, one for the Nasara, uh, one for the Magians, one for the Sabites, one for the Munafiqeen and there's also one obviously for those who have uh, committed polytheism, right, and there's one door which is for the people of Tawheed to be purified and that will be their washing machine. He said the only ones that you can have any hope for are the people in that section of the Ahlul Tawheed. Ata al-Khurasani, he gives a bit more uh, explanation about it. He said, Jahannam has seven doors. Ashadduha ghamman wa karban wa hurran wa harran wa antanuha rihan. He says one of the worst ones in his opinion from what he's read Right, in terms of that would be causing grief and sadness and the most severe in heat and the most smelly and the one with the most stench is the one for the fornicators, especially those who knew it was wrong and who did it. That's going to be one of the worst, he says. I mean, it's relatively speaking. So what this tells you is that each one of these is split up either for different types of people or there's some other doors or the same doors in which they've got sections for different types of deeds, people of different types of deeds. It's very difficult to understand it all, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. There's a hadith which is related from Hisham ibn Hassan. Once we went out for Hajj and we stopped over someplace. And there, there was a man who was with us in our group. There was a man with us in our Hajj group. 
and he read the verse Laha Sabatu Abuab. It has seven doors. There was a woman close by in that area and she heard it and she said, Repeat that please. May Allah have mercy on you. Maybe she'd not heard it before. He, so she said, Repeat it. He repeated it and she then said, So actually she, she was in the group with them. She said to him that I've left behind seven slaves. So I own seven slaves. I make you witness that all of them have been freed, right? for every one of the doors so that I can be freed for each one of them. I could be freed from each of those doors by giving, by, by essentially freeing all of these slaves. And there's another one, this is really interesting because this tells us what to do about this. This tells us how we can actually do something about this in preventing ourselves from being there. Imam Bayhaqi has a hadith from Khalil ibn Murrah that the Prophet ﷺ would not sleep before completing Tabarak al-Ladhi bi-yadihi al-Mursuratul Mulk and Hamim al-Sajda. And he would say that the seven Hamims, the Hawamim al-Sab'ah, right? The seven Hamims and the doors of Jahannam, right? Uh, he says the Hamim are seven and so are the doors of Jahannam, right? Jahannam, Hutama, Lada, Sa'ir, Saqar, Hawiyah and Jahim, right? And then he said that every one of these Hamims will appear on the Day of Judgment. And then the narrator says, I think what he said, I imagine that he said, that these Hamims, these surahs, the seven surahs will come and they will position themselves at each one of these doors. And they would say, Oh Allah, they would, they would say, Oh Allah, do not let those who used to believe in me, meaning the Qur'an, and who used to recite me, meaning that Hamim, don't let them enter into this door. So at least once in our life, let us read the seven Hamims, right? The Hamim, Wal Kitab Il Mubin, the various different Hamims. Let us read them with this intention for being protected from the hellfire from every single door down there. Okay? That's a job for us to do, inshallah, especially since Ramadan is coming. There's another hadith related from. Abdul Aziz ibn Abi Rawad, he says that in the Badia, now this is what different people have done once they figured this out. They've got concern. And you know, if you've got concern and you do something that's very personal to you to try to protect yourself, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept it. So there's a person in a Bedouin, right, out there, right, and he had made for him his own self for his maybe little inhabitation uh, group, people that he was with, right, in his little area. He had a masjid down there, right? He had a place of prayer down there that they had developed. In the Qibla, right? In front, in the Qibla position, he'd kept seven stones there, maybe decent-sized stones. And whenever he would finish his salat, he would actually just say, just to remind himself, this is not a bid'ah, I mean, th this is not sunnah to do, but this is just something if you want to do. Ya Ahjar, stones, ushidukum an la ilaha illallah. I make you witness, because stones are smart objects, according to Allah. Right? Because right? everything in this world bears witness, uh, makes a tasbih and glorifies Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we know of stones that actually spoke to the Prophet. Right? We know that that happened. So he said, Stones, I make you witness that there is no God except Allah. After that, that's what he would say. After every prayer, he was so concerned, just his fikr, just his concern for the hellfire. Right? So then what happened is that this person became sick. And he then said that I saw in my dream that I've been ordered to go to the hellfire. And I then saw one of those stones that I recognized because I mean, I was praying with those stones for such a long time, right? He said, I recognized the exact stone, but it had become large, right? It has expanded and it had blocked the way into Jahannam. And then it was the same thing for every single door of hellfire, right? Those seven stones, each one of them was at a different door and it actually blocked that door. Now this is something very special for him. I mean, of course, if we've got something similar, right? I'm not saying that you use seven stones or whatever, but the, the point is the concern. That is the main important aspect here. So that was just about the depth and the layers and the doors. Uh, of hellfire the next section is about how the doors are going to be closed upon people 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the seven doors and then after that he speaks about what are the, these doors going to be used for and how they're going to be there. So for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Humaza verse 8, and then in Surah Al-Balad, verse 20, Allah says, عَلَيْهِمْ نَارٌ مُؤْصَدَةٌ مُؤْصَدَةٌ عَلَيْهِمْ مُؤْصَدَةٌ That meaning the fire and the Jahannam and everything will be closed down upon them. مُؤْصَدَةٌ means closed down, like just basically shuttered down and locked. In and sealed, they just can't come out. So that's mentioned at least in two places in the Quran. And there's lots of other description about it. Dahak, who is a commentator of the Quran, he says this essentially talks about an enclosure with no door. So the door has just been plastered over or molded over, right? So it says that in the Abuaba Utbiqat, the doors have been closed down and shut it down فَصَارَ الْجِدَارِ كَأَنَّهُ لَا بَابَلَ Now the wall has become, the door, the, the door in the wall in which there is the door, right? The door has been completely shut down and now it is as if there is no door left. So it's just completely sealed forever, right? That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in, uh, in Surah Al-Humaz verse 8 and 9 إِنَّهَا عَلَيْهِمْ مُؤْصَدَةٍ فِي عَمَدٍ مُمَدَّدَةٍ this will be shuttered down upon them in extended columns. In extended columns. Now, there's lots of descriptions about what this means, lots of interpretations about what this means. It's going to be columns of steel. right? This is going to be shuttered down with columns of rods of steel. There's nothing that's going to happen there. That's why Atiyah mentions that these are going to be made out of iron. Muqatil says these doors will be shuttered down upon them and then they will be shuttered down and fixed down and sealed down with iron nails until essentially people are going to just have so much grief just because they can't get out. Now, you know, what I would say, the way to understand this is that if you've ever found yourself in a room and you started feeling claustrophobic, Right, one is that it's not even hot, but you just start feeling that everything is coming. I think I've only felt like that once, and that was when I went inside a pyramid. Right, you went into a pyramid, you just wonder that suddenly you've got all of this stone around you, going into the belly of this huge stone monument. What would happen if it just suddenly shook and closed down? Like, would you want to die in a pyramid, like the way the pharaohs were put into there? I think that's the only time I can actually remember in Egypt. Right, feeling a bit. Alhamdulillah, I overcame the the feeling and carried on and went, you know, deeper down. But um, it's a bad feeling when you feel claustrophobic. Now, add to that the feeling when you get when you're in a small room and it's hot. Even if you're in a large room and it's hot, right? Sometimes, Subhanallah, in our masajid, right? They they just put the heater on like crazy. They don't. Sometimes, Subhanallah, our masajid, they just don't realize that. There's going to be people that will come in and the body heat is going to contribute as well. So they kind of put the heater on based on before Salat when nobody is there to warm it up. And then when he actually gets to Salat and then it's boiling hot, especially in Taraweeh. And there's very few masjids that actually get it right, you know that. I, I, I just don't think, um, I, I don't know, I mean, what their solution is. But one masjid, mashallah, in Zambia was really good. They would actually have one side heated and one side not heated and be very clear those people who feel hot go to this side and those people who don't feel too hot they go to this side that was a good compromise otherwise what happens especially in Ramadan during Tarawih some people are complaining put the AC on put the AC off open the windows close the windows subhanallah right but what I'm trying to say is that when you're standing there anywhere and it's hot you just can't wait to open a window because you start feeling enclosed now imagine when this is with hellfire, with all that heat, the enclosed aspect, the claustrophobic aspect, the claustrophobia, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prevents that from happening to us. So now what does this fi amadim mumaddara? Amad refers to amad or umud. They have, there's two readings of this, but it could mean pillars, right? Columns. Mumaddara just means ex extended, extended columns. 
So there's various different descriptions that they're going to be used to fix the doors and to basically seal the doors and there's a number of other opinions here as well. It's going to be shuttered down upon them and so on and so forth. Some say that Ahmad ibn Mumad actually refers to long time. So it's actually about time here as opposed to a physical entity. It just means, Ahmad ibn Mumad just means an endless time period that they, they will be in there. Uh, Suddi clarifies, he said that whoever reads it as fi Ahmad ibn then they mean that these are columns of fire. They're columns of fire. And who, those who read it as Umud, then it's talking about a long period. And that's about the time instead. Then you've got Mu'sada, innaha alayhim Mu'sada. And that obviously means that it's just going to be layer upon layer and shut down upon them in a way. فَلَا دَوْءَ فِيهَا وَلَا فَرَجَ وَلَا خُرُوجَ مِنْهَا إِلَىٰ آخِرِ الْأَبَدِ Right? There's going to be no light in there. There's going to be no opening in there. There's going to be no coming out of there until the end, until, until basically eternity. Ya Allah, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, protect us. Now, who is this going to happen upon, as Allah has mentioned? So one opinion is that this is only going to be on certain individuals. It's not a punishment for everyone in hellfire. It's going to be a special punishment for certain individuals that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants. The other opinion is that actually, no, this is what's going to happen to all the people in hellfire. Right? Even if that doesn't happen, that doesn't make a difference. The hellfire is going to be bad enough anyway. That's why some have said that the verse in Surah Al-Anbiya, verse 103, right? They will not be caused to be grieved by the great uh, terror or whatever it is, that this is what's referring to. So it's talking about a specific punishment. That's what some say. There is another hadith in, uh, which is related from the Prophet that it's regarding the people of Tawheed and uh, who are good people who eventually, right, uh, people, believers who eventually will be taken out of the hellfire. He said that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then send in angels who will have nails made out of fire and they will have other um, instruments made out of fire these shutters or these uh, coverings and once all the good people meaning all the believers have been taken out after their purification from that washing machine section of the hellfire right then after that all of these things will be doubled down and shuttered down and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will have these angels uh, bolt it down using these bolts made out of uh, fire. Thereafter, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will have these people forgotten. And they will be far from the rahmah and his mercy. Right? And the people, of, the people of paradise will also forget about them because now they're just in their enjoyment. They're just in their bliss with everything that they have in paradise. That's what's written about it. There's a hadith that Ibn Abi Hatim has transmitted from Sa'id ibn Jubayr. He says that there will be a man, there will be a person in one of the places in hellfire who's been there for a thousand years now. And he will then call out, I don't know, he'll call out, Ya Hanan, Ya Manan, O compassionate one, O benevolent one, for example. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he likes to be praised, right? He says, Ya Jibreel, Take out my servant. But when he get, goes there, he finds it totally shuttered. There's no way to get in. So he says to Allah, Ya Rabb, innaha alayhim mutbaqatun mu'sadatun. It's completely shuttered and sealed and finished over them. Then it doesn't mention what happens. I don't know what's going to happen with Allah. I mean, because Allah is not going to take anybody out of hellfire once, if they don't have belief, according to this anyway. According to another version, uh, another hadith, it's uh, another transmission. It says that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will respond to people in the hellfire like that, He will say, as mentioned in Surah Al-Mu'minun, verse 108, Remain therein in ignominy, in disrepute, like stay there miserable, right? And don't speak to me. That will be the response. 
Why? Because it's already sealed. You can't, you, you, you can't come out of there anymore. It's already sealed upon you. Abu Imran al-Jawni, he says that on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will issue a command for every stubborn transgressor, stubborn, arrogant person, and every shaitan, every rejected shaitan as well, right? Ya Allah, and anybody who other people would be fearful, they were tyrannical people, they will be tied down with iron chains. Then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will have them enter into hellfire forever. And then after that, the angels will be after them constantly. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send the angels against them. Now, it says that they're going to be such, so much terror and so much restlessness in there that their feet will never stand firm. They will never then be able to look up at the, at the heavens, up, up at the skies. And they will never be able to sleep. They will never be able to catch a wink. And never will they taste cold water again. That is severe. That is severe. When you think about it that way, they'll never be able to look out. They'll never be able to see the skies. They'll never be able to taste cold water. They'll never be able to breathe fresh air. They'll never be able to sleep. They'll never be able to stand properly. You know, I, I've, I've read about people in Guantanamo and other places um, with these aggressors, uh, you know. Um, and subhanAllah, you know, they persecute them. They, they, they play loud music 24 hours, 48 hours. They have large blinking lights. And subhanAllah, the other day um, in the toilets, in, in the lavatory, the light went, so it was flickering. So it just wouldn't come on, it's just flickering. And you're sitting there for two minutes, and the flickering of the light is so bothersome that I just remembered that this is a persecution, this is a punishment. This is how people punish one another sometimes and, and uh, persecute one another, just blinking lights. Now, worse than that is in hellfire. Some have described how this will be all doubled down, so he says that people will be made, will be essentially, you can say, shackled in some, according to this, is made of copper, right? They would not be able to breathe properly, right? I think they will be probably shackled in a way that they won't be able to breathe properly. Their breath will actually just be going around in their inside and they won't, they'll, they'll be gasping for breath. I mean, we've seen in COVID what, people have suffered especially when they have breathing problems this is going to be something crazy like that or worse than that and there's going to be a fire both outside and inside their body that will just be just be blazing and of course all the doors and all of that has just been shuttered down sealed upon them and they have the anger upon of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon them as well there is a weak hadith right there's a weak hadith which says that uh, the door of hellfire will be opened up afterwards. So Imam Tabarani has related this hadith from Abu Hurairah anhu that the Prophet said, I will come to Jahannam and I will strike at its door and it will be opened up for me and I will enter it and I will praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with such praises that nobody else before me has ever praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the likes of, right? And neither will ever anybody praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the likes of those praises again after me. And thereafter that, I will extract from it, right? Those who would say, those who have said, La ilaha illallah with sincerity, right? So then he says, that there will be some people even from the Quraysh that will stand up and con come in front of me. They would even be attributed to me, maybe by lineage or whatever. I would know them, meaning I would know their family tree. I would know their family tree, their ancestry, but I would not recognize their faces. So I would leave them in the hellfire. 
these will not be the believers. These will be the people of there who will not be believers. So this is talking about that eventually Allah subhanahu and the isnad of this is, is weak. But all it's saying is that those people who did say la ilaha illallah eventually, as we know, they will man qala la ilaha illallah dakhil jannah. Whoever says la ilaha illallah, they're going to eventually enter paradise anyway. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says in Surah Al-Kahf verse 29 We've prepared for the oppressors a fire whose canopies right, will encompass them in every way all around them. That's why there's a hadith from Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said that the surroundings, the enclosures of hellfire are four, have four walls and the, each one of the walls is the size of 40 years. It's a massive wall. I mean, you probably need that to keep all of the fire inside. Imam Tirmidhi has mentioned this. When they will be put into this enclosed space, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Kahf verse 29, we're going to describe all of these things and discuss them later. It's that when they really will call out for something to drink or whatever, they'll be given all of this really ugly and really horrible things to drink. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Hajj verse 21 and 22, وَلَهُمْ مَقَامِعُ مِنْ حَدِيدٍ كُلَّمَا أَرَادُوا أَنْ يَخْرُجُوا مِنْهَا مِنْ غَمٍ أُعِيدُوا فِيهَا وَذُوقُوا عَذَابَ الْحَرِيقِ They will have rods or whips of iron. And every time the people, I mean these are the angels, right? Those, uh, the, the people who are in there, when they would want to come out of it due to their extreme sorrow and grief and everything, they will be returned back to it. And it will be said to them, Taste the punishment of the fire. Abu Ma'shar says that once we were in the janazah, the funeral with Abu Ja'far al-Qari. So this Abu Ja'far began to cry. And then he said that Zayd ibn Asim has related to me that the people of hellfire will not be able to breathe. They won't be able to take good breaths. They'll be like the people you know, who are suffering. And that is what has caused me to, to cry that people are going from this world. Let us stop here. And inshallah, we will carry on this discussion inshallah next week. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve us from uh, the hellfire. May Allah allow us to understand this and prepare ourselves before we get there. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from it, especially since we're covering this. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this coverage a means of our uh, protection from all seven doors, from getting anywhere close to hellfire, being able to go uh, overcome the causeway to paradise. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do this for our family and our generations, our, uh, our progeny until the day of judgment. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us uh, good people, good parents and good friends for others as well. And may Allah protect us. Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, uh, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Uh, you can't really just forward this, unfortunately. But let them know about the program uh, for next week, inshallah. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.